Uh, well, it's a joy to be with you this morning. It's, it's great to be able to open God's word with you. And so I invite you this morning to uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We live in a world that is just surrounded by distraction all the time. Uh, distraction while we're working. Distraction while we're at school. Distraction while we're driving. Uh, distraction while you're at home trying to do your homework. Distraction while you're talking with the person that's right in front of you and you're thinking about something else, like, what am I going to have for lunch today? Uh, there's even that distraction with, like, I think there's something leaking in the, the ceiling back there. I don't know. we got a lot of distractions around us all the time. And we all know about distraction. Uh, it was just a few Wednesday nights ago that there was, uh, it was like the middle of the sermon in junior high ministry, and there's a junior higher in the back row on his phone. He was totally distracted. And so one of the leaders came, and, and they took his phone away, and it turned out that he had Zillow.com pulled up on his phone. Do you guys know what Zillow is? It's like where you can search for homes for sale. He was distracted by looking at homes when he was in junior high. I think there's a ton of funny stories about distraction out there. We could talk about all the different stories. There's uh, the true story of a woman who was recorded while uh, being distracted because she was driving and eating a bag of Doritos at the same time, which we can't totally blame her because Doritos, I think, are amazing, but also not a good idea. Uh, there's also the story of the man who was so distracted that he walked right into the glass wall and his coffee goes all over the wall. Has anybody else ever done that before? I know I've done that before. Distraction is common to us all. And you, you would find it interesting to know maybe that, I looked this up on the internet, believe it or not, Americans check their phone on average about, any guesses? What do you, what would you guess, Caesar? 108? 180? Okay, well, this says 100, just 100 even, but I feel like it's probably, there's probably people that are doing it way more than that, including Zillow.com. But there's a good chance that even as I've been talking this morning, you're totally distracted. You're like, Ryan, what are you even talking about? But all this is just to say that we live surrounded by distraction. And the same is true for us spiritually. There is no place that the danger of distraction matters more than when it comes to our own souls and our own hearts before the Lord. This world is filled with distractions that are pulling at us, pulling us away from what matters most. And Jesus had some amazing words to say about this. He knew that there are distractions that are pulling at us all the time, whether it's how we look, what we wear, how we spend the time we have, uh, to focusing on every, above everything else, just trying to achieve more and do more and, and be somebody better. We can be distracted by that one new item that we know won't ultimately satisfy us, but we still think, maybe if I had that, I would be that much happier. We know all about distraction. 
Now, I don't have anything against you wearing cool clothes or, or doing cool things or getting that new item. Hopefully that works out for you. Hopefully you do. But this message that comes to us from Jesus here, and, and I think that just almost just always comes back in my heart, in my mind, when I think about what Jesus says, is that it is so dangerous that we would be distracted spiritually. We cannot get distracted. And, and that's really the message I want to ha- have for you this morning. It's not anything complicated, but it's just that you would be focused on what matters most, that you wouldn't be distracted. Our relationship with God himself needs to be first. He needs to have first place above all in all of our lives. He deserves nothing less. He deserves to have the very highest place in each of our hearts. And Jesus calls us here in Luke chapter 12 to set our hearts, our eyes, our, ourselves on what matters most, on God himself. In other words, this is just an encouragement for you this morning not to let your soul get distracted by the things that would pull you away from what matters the most. And Jesus gives these helpful words to anyone who would hear, including every person in this room, to think seriously about what are you valuing? Where is your soul focused? What stands out in these verses in, in the Gospel of Luke and what I want to show you this morning is that simple reminder, God wants our hearts and he wants to be first place in our life. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then Jesus said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot even add a very little thing, why do you worry about all other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You men of little faith, and do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows what you that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In these verses, Jesus, we find him here traveling on the road to Jerusalem. Jesus had come here to earth and he was moving slowly towards his destination in the book of Luke. And that final place that he was going was to the cross. Jesus came with the mission to seek and to save lost sinners. And he did so at the cross. He would be crucified and then he would be raised from the dead. But here on his way to the cross, Jesus is teaching about discipleship and To be a disciple means to be a follower of Jesus. It means to be a learner, a follower of Christ. And Jesus was teaching here his followers and and anyone who would hear what they need to know if they're going to follow him. And here in verses 13 through 34, Jesus calls his disciples to think about where their treasure is, what their focus is on in life. To think about what their hearts are treasuring. Above all. And these verses, we could look at them really in just two sections because there's a lot here, but I just want us to see two uh, examples in these verses this morning. And the first one we could call a foolish focus on the riches of this world. This is in verses 13 through 21, where Jesus gives us an example of a foolish focus living for the riches of only this life. We can picture Jesus here in the, in the middle of, of thousands of people as he's been teaching and, and he's had these amazing instructions for disciples. But then in verse 12 and uh, verse, uh, verse 13 here, we see this man kind of show up and, and it's almost like he hasn't been listening to anything that Jesus has just been saying. He's almost like a heckler that kind of just yells out in the middle of Jesus talking and, and he's like, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's like, have you not been listening to what Jesus has been saying at all? This man is out of place, and he's not interested in what Jesus really offers. He's not interested in what Jesus is talking about. He's only interested in what Jesus can do for him. He's interested in his family's money. His focus is on stuff and how he can get the most out of his family inheritance. And this kind of thing is common. We, we know it goes on all the time. People are focused on inheritances. There's families that literally fall apart, arguing over their grandma's plates and silverware once she's gone. 
people that never talk again, brothers and sisters because of family inheritance. And even went over really in the grand scheme of things, dumb stuff. But that's kind of where this man is at. And, and Jesus says in, in verse 14, he's not here to be a judge to settle this man's life-dominating, self-focused argument in his family about money. Jesus isn't concerned with that ultimately. That's not why Jesus was here. And Jesus doesn't show any interest in in helping this man figure this problem out for his selfish agenda. But Jesus does use this as an opportunity to help this man and to help the crowd think about their focus and where their heart is. He helps them think about greed and the riches of this life and the danger of missing what really matters. And so he says there in verse 15, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. Why should you be on guard against that? Jesus says, because life is not about possessions. To focus your life on possessions is to not understand what life is all about. To live only for the stuff of this life without concern for heaven is utterly foolish. And Jesus is saying, watch out for becoming a person like this. It is so possible. Listen up and be guarded against wasting your life with a focus only on yourself and on your own little kingdom of self. That's not what life should be about. And then to explain this more, Jesus here gives this famous parable about a rich man who was also a fool. This rich man, verse 16 says, had a land that was very productive. I'm from uh, the state of Nebraska, and in Nebraska, there's a lot of farmers. And I think sometimes people have this idea that farmers are like these really poor, you know, helpless men. Uh, They have uh, no food. Uh, They just struggle to get by and they have to only eat like corn all the time, which is not true at all. In fact, in the Midwest, in Nebraska, people would say farmers are usually very, very wealthy. Farmers can be very good business people. Uh, They can become very wealthy because of their wisdom in farming. And that's kind of this man here. He's been blessed by God with good crops and and he's doing well for himself. And we also see that this farmer likes to talk to himself, which is kind of weird, but uh, we get to listen in on what he's thinking and saying here. What is he going to do with all of his crops? His, His problem is that he has so much stuff. He's so consumed with self. That's all that ever goes on in his mind. So verse 18, he decides to go through the work to tear down his barns and then to build larger barns. And then verse 19, he will say to his soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now there's, uh, I think, something very important to say here. And I don't want you to miss this. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being somebody who's wealthy. The, the Bible doesn't condemn that, and the Bible gives us a list of so many people who are wealthy. 
and godly. And there's also wisdom and planning and being thoughtful for the future. You should probably have a plan for college when you're graduating from high school. And it would even be poor stewardship not to plan well for the future. But that's not what Jesus is warning about here. He's not warning about you planning or doing well with your finances. He's not warning against you like having fun as being a Christian. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. But what Jesus warns against shows up in verse 20. He says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This farmer was a fool. And he was a fool not because he was rich, not because he had fun in life, not because he built larger barns, not because he was a planner. He was a fool because his focus was only on this life. And his focus was only on self alone, without any care for God, without any care for the God that he would meet when life was over, the God that we will all meet when life here is over. And his life was over that very night Verse 20 tells us, if we look back over the story, what comes up again and again and again is I, I, I. He was only thinking about himself. And what's missing from this farmer's life? God, God, God. This rich man had set his hope, his love, his focus only on right now, all while he was totally distracted away from what he probably knew he needed to care about, which is God himself. He had put all his hope in this world and its promises for happiness apart from God. The God who, by the way, gives all blessings, in whose presence there is fullness of joy, Psalm 16 says, and the God that he was going to face one day. I think if you ask the world around this farmer what they would think of him in, in our parable. They would seem, it would seem that he was safe and secure for the future. But when it came to what really mattered before God, really all that matters, he was poor. He was bankrupt and broke. With God, he had absolutely nothing. And this story matters for us. What can we learn from what Jesus is saying here? I think it's in verse 20, those words. This very night, your soul is required of you. Our soul belongs to God. And we don't know how long we have in this world. We don't know if it's 50 years. We don't know if it's a decade. We don't know if it's a year or even this very day. And the greatest danger is that you would go on living this life only for self, distracted, living, only storing up treasures here on earth with nice clothes, cool friends, really good at that one thing, respected, all set for getting to college, eating, drinking, being merry, in love with stuff, 
all while having no concern for God. Having no concern about where you stand before the God who you will one day meet. If you don't know Christ, if you have not come to God, you need to know today is the day to do that. We don't know how long we have. But God offers in Christ eternal riches for all who call upon him. He is abounding in loving kindness and grace. He can save you from hell forever. He can forgive your sins and wash you white as snow. He can bring you into joy and gladness with him for eternity. And he can give you joy in this life even now. He can give you eternal life. If you don't know Christ and you are only rich in this world, you need to know that there's eternity. And we don't know when that's coming. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. There's some amazing verses in those chapters where the Apostle Paul is talking about the eternal weight of glory. He's talking about eternity and and the way we live this life now. And and at the end of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, after thinking about eternity and, and these matters that are so important, he says this conclusion. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How can you be reconciled to God? He says, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You can be rich toward God today if you come to Christ. Let him be your greatest treasure by believing in Christ. And if you are a Christian, you are rich toward God because of what Christ has done on your behalf. But next, there's another example here from these verses. We first hear about the foolish man, this foolish focus, but then there's also a positive, encouraging example in part two, which would be a faithful focus on the riches which are in God. And this is in verses 22 through 34. Jesus, it says there in verse 22, says to his disciples, he kind of pulls aside from the crowds and now he's just talking to Christians primarily. And he's building on what he's just said. He says, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life. If you're a Christian, you're storing up treasures in heaven. Your feet are in this world but your heart is in heaven. You know that this world is not all that there's about. And so you don't have any reason to worry. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus, though, knows us well, doesn't he? He knows that we struggle with worry. He knows how hard it is to walk through this world as a Christian. John 16, says, In this world you will have trouble if you are a disciple of Jesus. So here's some encouragements for his disciples to think about life now. As you're living in a world that's filled with distractions and things that could be so worrisome. And he brings this big message. Do not worry. Do not be anxious or overly concerned or constantly fretting about 
only this life. That's pretty easy, isn't it? It's easy for me. I've been even challenged with these verses even this week. And I think Jesus knows that for all Christians, how easy it is to get worked up. Verse 29, Jesus repeats himself. And and this time the word for worry there means literally to get worked up over something. Jesus doesn't want you to be worked up over this life, knowing about eternity. He doesn't want you to be so concerned about stuff and what you wear and what you put on. In verse 23, he's really saying that the same thing as that parable before, that stuff is not what your life should be about. Be guarded against that greed and that obsession being all about this life and having your mind only here. I love what one writer says about this. He says, following Jesus means being lifted out of a self-centered, imprisoned existence in order to live for heavenly truth and heavenly goods. Man, if you've come to know Christ, you know that to be true. You have been lifted out of having to live for yourself, having to live only for this life, having to live in imprisoned existence to sin. Jesus has rescued you from that. And now he's brought you into his kingdom and he's using you for his glory. And your life isn't about you anymore. And that's really encouraging to think about if you're a Christian. You now get to live your life not for self and not for stuff, but for the Lord and for others, for Christ. And Jesus goes on here to explain to give reasons why we don't have reason to worry. And, and we could just overview these verses by kind of just moving quickly. But what are some of the reasons Christians don't have to worry? Well, look at verse 24. He says, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Ravens are ugly, annoying birds that leave marks on your mom's minivan windshield. I said it. I'll say it again. I don't like ravens. I don't like birds that much. But God cares for them. How much more does God care for you? How much more will God feed you? Or think about the flowers, verse 27 says. Though they are grass that is alive today and tomorrow gets thrown into the furnace, Although flowers are basically worthless, I mean, they're, they're meaningful if you gave them to your mom. But in general, flowers are kind of worthless. Here today, gone tomorrow, God still loves them. He still loves to clothe them with amazing beauty and glory that we can see on the side of the mountains. How much more does God care for you, his children, than for birds and for flowers? Just looking here at another reason against worry, verse 25, Jesus says, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life's span? Nobody has ever lived longer because they were worrisome, because they were a worry wart. In fact, if you're a worrier, you're probably going to live a shorter life than a longer life. Worry never accomplishes anything positive. And Jesus 
brings all of these different arguments kind of to this one conclusion, one last uh, reminder in verses 30 through 32. Christians shouldn't worry because God is their father. Verse 30, he says, your father knows what you need. And then verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. If you're in Christ, you have God as your father. And he cares for you. In fact, he invites you. He commands you to cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. You've been given the kingdom. And there's no greater, more valuable gift than that. And God lovingly and freely gives it to anyone who trusts in Christ. We have an inheritance in heaven because of Christ. We have every blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1 says. God even gave us his own son so that we could have everlasting life. God has freely, gladly given us redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's given us joy that starts in this life now. Listen to how 1 Thessalonians 2 talks about what God does for believers. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says that God calls us into his own kingdom and glory. God calls us into glory, even here in this life. 2 Corinthians talks about how believers have an eternal weight of glory in the heavens, far beyond all comparison. Eternal in the heavens, Jesus says, or Paul says. And that's the love that God has for his children. That's the love that God has for us. And if we know about that future, it should change how we live now, that we are not worried, not consumed with this life or the stuff of this life only. But Jesus knows that our faith is weak and and little, and he knows that we need to grow in trusting him. And I think that's why he reminds us to keep our focus on that, on the Lord. Verse 31 is, I think, one of the best few words of Jesus, most important few words. He says, but seek his kingdom. That's a good way to sum up what I'm trying to say to you. Seek his kingdom. Don't live only for the kingdom of this world. Live for the kingdom that is God's, that he offers to you in heaven forever. Don't get distracted, worked up, worried with the cares of this world. But live for what matters most. I love the stories of, of Christian missionaries, and there's one that I just always kind of come back to. I love the story of the missionaries Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. They were missionaries in the 1950s to a tribe in remote Ecuador. And they wanted to bring the gospel to these uh, people who had never heard of Christ. And so they went while they were in their 20s. And in 1956, as you probably know, Jim Elliott was martyred for being a missionary, for bringing the gospel to these people. But the part of the story of of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot that I love is is what happened afterward. 
as a magazine, or Life magazine, I think it was, came and they, they interviewed Elizabeth Elliot, this new widow in her 20s. And they asked her something to the effect of, what could explain what just happened? Why would somebody do what you've just done? Help us understand this from a world viewpoint. And here's the verse that she gave, and I think it's so good. 1 John 2.17 The world is passing away along with its desires, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. In other words, they were rich toward God. They knew that this world, along with its desires, will not last forever. But there is a God who they would meet in eternity forever. And they wanted to live for that. What does it look like for you to to seek his kingdom? Well, again, if you don't know Christ, it starts by coming to him. To calling out to him and and to receiving his kingdom, to being saved by what Christ did on the cross. And Jesus delights to give forgiveness to anyone who comes to him. What does it look like to seek the kingdom if you are a Christian? Well, it could look like you being a missionary and going and and doing something incredible like that. And maybe it will be for some of you, I don't know, but I do know that it's a lot more simple than that too. I think sometimes we think, I got to go do something extraordinary. But that's not what Jesus is is saying here. Uh, To seek the kingdom of Christ could look as simple as you living in obedience simply. You loving your parents and your siblings. You sharing the gospel and, and praying for opportunities for God to allow you to share the gospel. It looks like you obeying the Bible in the simple things it tells us to do. It looks like you fighting sin. It looks like you repenting of sin and pursuing holiness. It looks like you living with joy in your life. I love the words of Colossians 3. I think this helps us understand what it is to seek the kingdom. It says, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. We live with distraction around us all the time. I just want to encourage you, don't get distracted. Don't get pulled away from what matters most. I think you should plan for the future. I think you should have a great time in high school. It's a great time of life. I think you should have a lot of fun. I think you should enjoy this life that God's given you to have. But that can only happen ultimately if you are rich toward God. And what matters for eternity, what matters even this very day, is that you would know Christ and that you would be seeking his kingdom. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us in Christ. It's so evident when we open our Bibles, it is just overflowing with truths about 
your grace and love and kindness and care towards us, undeserved sinners, yet you love us. Lord, help each of these high schoolers to not get caught up in living only for this life, but Lord, may they live this life excellently, ultimately with you on the throne of their hearts and lives. May they pursue you first and find joy and rest in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, and we worship you this morning in Christ's name. Amen.